DGEN. My name is Zach Wolf. And I'm your co-host, Hunt Fry, over here, uh, excited to uh, share the first episode with you guys. It's going to be fun. Yeah, so the idea for IDGen is pretty simple. We're tracking down what we can find to be the wildest, most interesting story in crypto of the week and talk about it, dig in a little bit, see if we can shed some light on it. This particular week, it's a pretty easy pick. Yeah, it is. This has been a wild week. Uh, this is April 1st, 2022. We're recording this. So this is the week of the Ronin chain hack. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I think, I don't know, from my outside eyes, this seems like the biggest hack since I've been involved uh, in crypto, but you've been in, involved uh, longer than I have. Is it is it up there for you, Zach? Yeah, so I just lean on the, the Rekt leaderboard. And this, indeed, according to Rekt, is the largest crypto hack of all time. Number one. Yeah, so we'll hit you with some quick stats on the hack. Chances are you are familiar with the the basics of it, but hopefully we can dig in and, and find some interesting elements here um, a little deeper and you know beyond. It, it's crazy to see... CNN, I mean, everybody, I guess at this value, this dollar value. So yeah, largest hack in crypto. Uh, the Ronin Bridge has been exploited $624 million worth of Ethereum and USDC. That is 173,600 Ethereum and 225, oh, sorry, 25.5 USDC. And I think probably the other uh most interesting part of this to me is that the hack occurred on March 23rd and it took 6 days for anyone to notice. That's wild. And didn't we see something where people joking that somebody did notice and take out a big short but that the uh the the general population had not noticed it yet so their short got liquidated cuz the price of uh Axie kept pumping and then 6 days later it, it really hit, you know, make its circles around Twitter and social media and mainstream media started picking up on it. That's that's wild to me. Yeah, I saw that tweet. Um I saw a couple versions of it. I think that was a joke. Uh, I would love to, if that was actually the case, um, I would love to learn differently. But here, here's why I think that was a joke. So basically the tweet said, uh, implied that they noticed the hack. So they opened a short position expecting that the price would uh, plummet. But they ended up getting liquidated because no one noticed the hack and the price just naturally happened to go up. Right. Is that the, yeah. that's the gist of it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the reason that I don't think it's true is because if you really open that position, all you would have to do is, you know, tip off someone Oh yeah, good that, point. that the hack had occurred, you know, hit the right, um, white hat channel. Um, where was whale alert? I wonder if there was a whale alert transaction for this. Yeah. I didn't see anybody sharing that and you'd think that would be what people were uh, sharing and talking about, but, uh, yeah. Looks like two, two transactions. So before we get into the details, I thought it might be helpful or interesting to talk a little bit about Axie Infinity's origins, what it is, and then a little bit about the Ronin chain, side chains in general. And I think that sets a good foundation for understanding how this hack happened. Yeah, love to hear it. I'll be learning here 
uh, too, because I didn't uh, I didn't know about the Ronan Jane until uh, I saw these headlines and I I did my normal you know message Zach and like what the hell is this and he started briefly telling me and we're like we we need to make this a, a podcast on ID Gen so here we are yeah this is a, an awesome first uh, topic we did like a, an episode zero what a week ago you know just kind of testing this out there's some other interesting stuff but I feel like this is this is a big one so it, it hits host, uh, close to home for me. As I had recently been um, working with a gaming DAO, uh, specifically, uh, you know, in Axie Infinity, we actually spun up a thousand scholars. So uh, on Axie Infinity, in you know, like two months' time. So Axie Infinity uh, is a play-to-earn game. It's really kind of like the pioneer, the OG in the space. You play the game, and you can you know earn coins or SLP, Smooth Love Potion. You know, for for playing the game, and it you're, it's long been kind of like anticipated that blockchain and gaming was going to be the combination that blew it up and took things mainstream. It it just hadn't really materialized, and so Axie was I think Axie is the first example of someone really uh, successfully executing on the blockchain and gaming concept. Yeah, definitely, and I think that came around kind of recently was it 2020 or 2021 it's it's relatively new so yeah i think uh it's interesting to watch you know the the giant in the play to earn uh space be the victim of the the number one you know hack that's happened and and it'll be interesting to watch how they they react to it but yeah 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 so the um i wanted to i looked a little bit into this because i i wasn't totally sure of all the dates and um did a little bit of research Axie's concept and idea development began December of 2017. Whoa. Okay. Um, there was a February 2018 Axie Origins presale. They raised 900 ETH. This is all directly from the Axie website. Uh, March 2018, they had an in-house Axie NFT marketplace. Uh, a couple other breeding game released May of 2018. Uh, some battling games. Okay, a land sale. This one's pretty big. January 2019 land sale raised 3,200 ETH. Wow, and this is that's the the height of a bear market too. That was not with a lot of hype and hysteria. We were both around in in 2019, and uh, yeah, that's that's not easy to do. You must have a, a solid plan and idea, and for people to throw that kind of ETH at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then so here in May of 2019 is where I think the the story gets interesting in relation to the hack. Uh, in-house land item NFT marketplace on ETH layer two was released. And this was on the Loom network. So um, back when there was all this hype about blockchain and gaming in uh, 2018, you know, even before, uh, it had started to kind of like the writing was on the wall from the Crypto Kitties issue, the, the big network congestion that, you know, a, a layer one, or the Ethereum mainnet was not going to be able to handle, you know, a game where like every transaction was on chain. So Loom Network emerged. They were like the front runner, the first, a lot of the, the layer two side chain type solutions were aimed at building DEXs and uh, other kind of components. But Loom was like all about gaming. So this, this side chain network, they were actually a plasma um, network and Axie jumped on board and, and built with them. And so uh, things were going pretty well, it would seem. However, um, March 2020, right? So this is just, you know, less than a year later, 
Um, Axie Infinity tweet, due to recent events, we'll be shutting down our Loom validator today and migrating the land and items to a new scaling solution over the coming months. So Axie was really early on struggling with a way to exist you know, in, in the, um, within the fee, the confines of, uh, fees on the ETH mainnet, right? Yeah, a lot of people have that problem. Yep. Yeah. And they, they were, they were super early, right? They were really suffering hard. Um, so, uh, what, um, you know, what becomes of that is, is the Ronin chain and the solution, right? So, um, something I wanted to mention though, about the loom network there, there are some diverging opinions or about what happened, but um, one of the main games, uh, Crypto Wars, who was using Loom Network, uh, claims that the network collapsed multiple times under heavy activity. Ooh, that's not good. So is, is Loom still alive or is, is she dead? So Loom, uh, certain social medias basically go dark, disappear, Reddit. Um, no tweets, the CEO resigns and everyone thinks, you know, the token price has plummeted. It's, it's basically worthless. However, they kind of reemerge and resurface with a focus on enterprise blockchain solutions. All right. So, uh, don't think they're doing so well with that, but that is, that's kind of, um, the evolution of the loom network. I know there are some other games. I think, I feel like, um, I can't remember like pineapple arcade, maybe blockade games. I feel like was talking about using loom, uh, at, at one point, maybe they did. I don't know, but yeah, so there, there weren't too many folks. I don't think that that ended up there. So, uh, Axie's in this position, right? Where they know they need to scale. They need to scale quickly. It's pretty much key to success, right? You, do, you, do you think they had a lot of users at that point? Like, whether did they need to scale because there was so much demand, or did they just foresee if if Axie Infinity was going to work and take off that they really needed to scale? Like, I'm, I'm trying to guess when it really t- started taking off. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I think it's it's can be difficult to to know, sure. but one um, one thing we can look at Nansen AI uh, does like you know a lot of tracking and really great analytics. And they've got a pretty nice article here on the Ronin chain. And what we can see is the active daily addresses. And so the graph itself is uh, a nice steady increase until about November of 2021. And that's uh, pushing it up to 400,000 daily active addresses. It looks like it mooned. Really healthy and then just completely moons. So basically peaks out at double that 1.1 million addresses between November, 2021, December kind of crashes back little return, 800,000 active daily addresses, uh, by the end of December, moving into January, 2022, we're back to those, those, uh, October levels of 2021 around 300,000 active addresses. It's kind of hilarious because that chart you have up on your computer, it looks exactly like the Bitcoin 2017 chart or a lot of these charts that we've seen before with these incredible gains. And then it just kind of returns slowly, you know, and gracefully right back to where it started. So, you know, not where it started. It's bigger than where it started, but it's that kind of blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that the next chart and we'll link all these in the show notes, but the very next chart here, they map ETH transactions, um, number of ETH transactions versus Ronin. So indeed there's, there's kind of like a, um, a noticeable similar, uh, overlay between the transactions. So yeah, so, so Ronin chain, 
fall 2021 moving into December was was far and away like all the hype the it was just exploding you had the merit circle um, IDO in November did a hundred million dollars that they raised uh, played Aaron gaming was everywhere you know it was like the, the hype was finally there like look Axie's doing it it's happening and um, yeah, with that hype, what comes another another hundred axes too. Everybody kind of started to try to do what Axie was doing, and I don't think, as far as I know, anybody was as successful as Axie. It seemed like they were still kind of the king and number one. Definitely, absolutely, like by market cap, by number of daily users. I don't think there was any game that I'm aware of that, that was really touching what Axie was doing. So um, let's take a quick dive through the Ronin chain, like how it works, what it is. So. Uh, obviously you can see the problem they needed this scalable the scalable chain so what they adopted is a proof of authority consensus model for their sidechain so first of all sidechain um it's a completely separate blockchain that essentially connects to you know a, a mainnet or different chain in this case the ethereum mainnet so you have this side blockchain run as proof of authority so really simply put like proof of authority is this concept where you have a trusted set of node validators and they're going to be the ones um, validating the transactions. So you could argue that it's not the most decentralized chain in the world. Am I correct on that? Yeah, it's and in fact, like, I don't even think it's really an argument, like, especially in the case of Axie. So they only had, I believe it was uh, nine nodes running to validate transactions on their, their proof of authority chain. So wow. Um, yeah, now it's kind of interesting. Um, they, uh, they had some pretty big names, uh, running these Binance, Ubisoft, um, who else did I see in there? So they, I had think the big, like, they had the big boys working with them. Yeah. So, so right. So you have these different companies that operate the nodes and, um, Sky Mavis themselves operated four nodes. And, and that becomes an important component here as we get more into the hack. So, um, as I was looking into this there, I've always had kind of these questions like, well, how exactly do these bridge networks work like the, between the chains and, um, Polygon recently had some issues with the bridge. So I did a little deep, deeper digging in like high level. Basically you have smart contracts on the Ethereum side, the main chain, and then you have smart contracts on the side chain. And then you have like a UI that allows, uh, users to deposit. So they, you know, deposit Ethereum from the Ethereum main chain. They deposit that in. There's a Oracle in the mix and uh, keeping track of like price and exchange stuff. And then boom, um, you know, essentially you bridge your tokens from the mainnet into the side chain. And because they have this proof of authority, uh, what uh, Axie allowed for customers for, for a long time for players was you got 100 free transactions for each account per day. Okay. Um, and that had been like the the long-standing way that the Ronin chain worked. And those transactions weren't free on the chain, right? They were just free to the users. Like Axie was was paying those. Um, no, they were. Yeah, they were. They were free actually. Oh like, wow! Yeah, it didn't cost anything, and I think they thought like. Um, yeah, that scares me. My first thought is like security, because as far as I've always known about blockchains is part of those fees is kind of securing the network um, and making it more expensive and harder to attack. So that uh, that's the first red flag to me, but I don't know. Yeah. And so I think the logic was like, 
most people are going to be on the Rona chain. There, there's nothing to do there besides participate in the Axie game, right? There aren't, you know, so, so you have the Katana decks. So you can think of that like the Uniswap of the Ronin chain. Okay. Uh, that's where you could um, exchange different assets on Ronin, right? And so, uh, yeah, now you've got your, your nine validators. So here is where things start to get a little shaky. Uh, the network was getting clogged. The 100 transactions per account for free every day um, wasn't, the, the game was getting so big, it wasn't really working. So they wanted to introduce a native token. It was going to be the RON token. That was going to be anchored in governance, uh, further moving towards decentralization. They had plans of adding additional nodes to the chain. And with this, there was a whole restructuring of the fees. This was kind of a pain in the ass. Like we had to deal with this. Um, you know, like how the scholars were, were paid out. All these things were kind of impacted by this because at a certain point they announced the end of January moving to this new model. So um, you only got a, a free number of limited transactions based on the number of axes you had, or if you had land in that account, things like that. And then um, after that, you were going to have to pay. So more, you know, like the model you're, we're more familiar with where it takes, you know, Ethereum or Polygon or something um, the native token on the chain, you need to pay a little bit in gas. And the transactions were cheap. It's just that you had to, you know, get Ron to your accounts if you were going to send. And so uh, this is where the important thing comes in. When they made a transition to, um, to this new model, it was a pretty big deal, right? They were switching everything over. And during that, they changed it. Uh, they, they temporarily created a whitelist that said, the Sky Mavis team and their four nodes plus one other node. And it was this gas-free node that they stood up, this validator node, right? Uh, you just need five signatures, okay? Um, right, so th think about like uh, the way that this POA sidechain works. You have nine validators. I don't know. I, I wasn't able to figure out before this what, what the standard was. But when they were moving to this new fee model and they were prepping for it, December, January, 2022, they created a whitelist mm. and they said, Hey, for this next month, we only need five signatures. And I'm guessing that this was very public. I'm guessing they weren't doing this behind closed doors um, or that this was in like an open sourced way. Am I, am I right about that? Is that something that like the potential hacker could have been following this and kind of looking for attack vectors? I don't, I don't think this was very public. So this was behind closed doors. Okay. So the hacker doesn't know any of this is going on yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know. So where would we be able to see that? In in the smart contracts, there perhaps was a whitelist. So yeah, so it's possible that someone was watching and saw that. Uh, there's no mention of it in any of the articles I've seen. Um, what I know is that the Axie team in in what will become, you know, a $624 million mistake did not revoke the whitelist after the change was made. Oh, wow. That sounds like a big whoopsie, like seriously big problem. So a serious problem. Um, however, you still need five signatures, right, to, to um, approve transactions. So what happened? And this is where we don't really know yet. What we know is that the four Mavis, uh, Sky Mavis nodes were breached. So Sky Mavis is a company that develops Axie and uh, Axie Infinity. So those four nodes were compromised, okay? So there was a breach. 
Um, they updated, uh, Axie updated their sub stack yesterday and they, uh, sorry, this update was two days ago, I believe when they said this, while the investigations are ongoing at this point, we are certain that this was an external breach. All evidence points to this attack being socially engineered rather than a technical flaw. So hmm. take with that what you will, but it... Um, when they say external, though, but I mean, Mavis is pretty much, for for all intents and purposes, is Axie Infinity. It sounds like they're like sister companies and side by side. And so there, one could think that maybe there was some collusion from the inside coming and, and that's how they found out about it but you know they're they're saying differently i have no reason not to trust them but you know i definitely think about that yeah my first thought was this was an insider attack right to compromise four sky mavis nodes but you needed five right so we need one more node so let's say the attacker socially engineers the sky mavis team um, that could simply be via email via discord they send some good phishing links they find uh, a developer who knows whoever had access to these nodes i mean absolutely insane in my opinion that there was this you know that all four of these nodes could be compromised uh, uh i just i don't know it's hard it's hard to think about how with this much money at stake someone would have allowed that to happen yeah. i would have completely segmented those nodes and, and even who had access to the keys um regardless this is the uh, the idea of decentralizing everything it was too centralized with one company having access to all these nodes and which made it easier to exploit an attack and so yeah exactly matters i mean that that's that's the takeaway here like this really wasn't a decentralized network and and at that stage like why not just make it like a fully centralized web 2 app um if you're going to, you know, the whole proof of authority, I mean... Because then you can roll it back, right? If you made it the, the web app, then you could you could avoid things like this, correct? Potentially, but if you if the withdrawal, you know, if they're able to successfully own the Web2 app and process a withdrawal, you know, from an ETH node, from a node to the ETH network, you would still be in the same position. I think the argument to be made is that the intent, and this is, this is pretty clear in Axie's... Um, you know, literature, blog notes, everything is that they were, they were in the process of moving towards a more decentralized model. They wanted to stand up more nodes, right? It wasn't, it was never supposed to just be eight nodes. There were plans to bring more nodes on. I think they had actually brought on one node, um, from the Axie Dow maybe. So, um, but that's what, that's what ended up. That was the, the, the final straw, um, was the fifth node that was compromised, I believe that was from the Axie DAO. So they had to have control of 100% of the nodes to pull off this attack. Is that correct? No, no, no. They only needed five because of that whitelist. Uh, okay. They should have needed more, but... They, um, they really seem like they caught them with their pants down in a really vulnerable moment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sky Mavis's chain currently consists of nine validator nodes. Um, in order to recognize a deposit event or a withdrawal, five out of the nine validator signatures are needed. The attacker managed to get control over Sky Mavis's four Ronin validator nodes and a third-party validator run by the Axie DAO. So this is uh, this is Web two hacking, and um, you know social engineering probably. The validator scheme is set up to be decentralized so that it limits an attack vector similar to this one. But the attacker found a backdoor through our gas-free RPC node, 
which they abused to get the signature for the Axie DAO validator. So that one was not social engineering. So they, they hacked the, the fifth validator. And um, this traces back to November 2021. Sky Mavis requested help from the Axie DAO to distribute free transactions to an immense user load. Wow. Um, okay, so wait, maybe I was mistaken that it, it wasn't related to the switch to new fees. Um, this this whitelist was created uh, to ease tension on the network back when things were blowing up. Um, the Axie DAO allowed Sky Mavis to sign various transactions on its behalf. This was discontinued in December 2021, but the allow list access was never revoked. So whose fault would that have been? Like who was probably responsible? Sky Mavis? Was it the DAO? Uh, Sky Mavis. Yeah. They dropped the ball. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm seeing there is that they should have revoked that. And once they had access to those signatures, so that was that was all they needed. That's like one person, like maybe their chief technical officer or somebody is is kind of responsible for, for doing that. And they didn't dot their I's and, and check their T's. And now their $625 million are gone. Yeah. And so it's sitting... Um, Let's see. There, there was like a little bit of movement. I think it was like sixty-two hundred ETH was sent to an exchange, maybe. Yep. FTX. Um, the lion's share of it was moved to a single ETH address, and it hasn't moved since. Yeah, because that's the big problem with all these hacks is is you take all this money and you have it, but then like it takes uh, also another kind of genius to really figure out what to do with this money and with people on chain analysis and people watching what's going on, you know, everybody knows where these funds are. How do you get it off in a discreet way where you can actually turn that into real world, you know, riches for you? Exactly. So there's a lot of folks that are saying like, Hey, just return the ETH, uh, burn it which has happened a lot in the past. That's like a big history of hacks in the Ethereum space too, is there's been people who have made these big epic hacks and returned it and give, got given a bounty and got also got paid, you know, maybe 20% or 10% of the value, but it's still many millions of dollars. And, you know, they give it back and kind of say, hey, sorry, this is how I did it. And they hopefully learn. So that's that's kind of all part of this space. Yep. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's it's like... I think that, you know, obviously there's uh, various mixers uh, that come into play here. What we've seen in a lot of the recent news, you know, is that certain mixers, if you don't follow very strict protocols around how you use them, you're going to you're going to leak clues. Um, I read a really interesting uh, report two days ago about Tornado Cash and how they have de-anonymized or how they kind of traced someone through Tornado Cash, a big, um, uh, a pretty large hack. And, uh, you know, it was like really simple. Okay, so let's say this attacker. Tornado Cash is the thing you use to kind of, to tumble, they call it, or, or for lack of a better term, wash your ETH. Is, is, am I correct on that, Zach? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a privacy protocol. So it's okay. a, it uses zero-knowledge proofs and you send your ETH or Polygon, there's there's a number of different assets it supports now, I think, in, and uh, in a set amount, like one, 10, 100, whatever, and then uh, you withdraw it, and when you withdraw, you get to withdraw to a completely separate address than your original. Mm. And so uh, the whole premise only really works if there's enough people using it, and if you wait, 
And so in this in this case that I was re- reading about, the attacker sent in chunks of 100 ETH and then almost immediately withdrew. Nobody else was using it. He got impatient. Right. So that doesn't necessarily prove that it was that that it was that person, but what or the same person, but what they did was they looked at the transactions on the front side before he sent him in. In one of his wallets, he had interacted with a certain exchange. And after those hundred block transactions, he started interacting with that same exchange. It's not like a hundred percent, like okay, it's the same guy. But, but we obvious. all know, yeah, we all know, but it might be kind of hard with 100% to prove in court, but yeah, we all. But see, they don't have to because now if they have suspicion that that's the address, now they're going to just monitor those addresses post Tornado Cash. And as soon as they touch a KYC exchange, they're going to go get a subpoena, find out who that person is, right? And now they have a lead, right? So it's, it's enough, right? Wow. It's enough to get through. So... The, you know, a lot of discussion I saw around this hack was like, oh, it's, it's worthless. Like he's not gonna be able to do anything with it. And the, the logic there, right, is that there isn't liquidity in these mixers. There isn't a, um, a way that you could uh, launder this much money without, you know, someone paying attention. And now um, this address is totally blacklisted. Like if he... Um, you know, tries to send it to his Coinbase or something. There's going to be alarm bells going off in the Coinbase security team background. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, um, it looks like they've brought in CrowdStrike for the forensics analysis of the Web2 breach of the node. So you've got, uh, you know, an extremely experienced um, security company there looking into that. So if there's one slip up, you know, depending on what IP address they used, right, there's, there's a lot of um, that that's a whole nother yeah. level. This is really complex for sure. Yeah. So those are the folks, uh, we've got chain analysis. We've got CrowdStrike looking into it. We've got the ETH sitting there. Um, it would be kind of interesting for the price of ETH if, if they burnt it, yeah. it to the OX address. That would be bullish. Now, I, I got a question uh, for you here. So like whose money got taken? Whose $625 million got taken? Was it, you know, Axie's bags? Was it general users who were using the chain? Was it everything on that chain? Like, do you know or have you heard stories of people who've lost money in this hack? Yeah, so like in its most simple form, as I understand it, you deposit one ETH into the mainnet Ethereum Ronin bridge and you get credited with one wrapped ETH on the Ronin chain. So anyone who had deposited and had Ethereum, potentially USDC, that, that two, uh, 25 million that was, was taken as well. Uh, so anyone that had wrapped ETH on the, uh, you know, on Ronin. Now, I don't know, like, if, if they took it all. I, I looked at the Ronin mainnet contract right now. Uh, there is a little bit of ETH in there, not much. Um, certainly not enough to cover everything that was out there, right? So essentially, uh, what, what happens then is anyone who had Ethereum. So if you transferred, you bridged Ethereum into the Ronin network, it was sitting in there, you thought safe and sound. When I logged into my ac- one of my Axie accounts earlier today, I could see it still showed my balance. That's because on the Ronin chain, the Ronin chain is, is not uh, any wiser to know that the bridge contract back has been emptied. So as I understand it, probably everyone that had Ethereum on the Ronin chain or wrapped Ethereum uh, is probably out their, their cash at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure those stories will come out. We're, we're 
you know, this is so brand new of what happened that people might not even know the answer to that. And Axie and Ronan might be playing damage control here and kind of just seeing what they can get back and and so forth. So, you know, we could do an update episode in a in a week or two where the the hacker has decided to return the funds and take a small bounty and I think I've heard stories before where the hackers return the funds and they also part of their deal is like a a job at the at the uh the company to kind of prevent these things from happening in the future. So, it's not the worst idea for uh the hacker to uh, you know, get in touch and and return the funds. Yeah, I mean, okay, so it's that catch me if you can kind of style. I think there's a certain sort of glamour to that, but I don't think where the rubber meets the road. I would almost guarantee you if this person were like, if they're in communication with them privately and they're like, yeah, I'll return the ETH, you know, we'll give you a job. Like I I have a, personally, I would never take a deal like that. Like I have a feeling they're going to, they would just, they would throw the, the book at them even Made you look gotcha, and now you gave us all the evidence we need to throw you the book at you. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, if they voluntarily returned it, uh, maybe. But I mean, you have to think of how much damage this has done to the Axie brand, and uh, the proper way to to do something like this or, or is ha- to report the vulnerability. But see, the thing is, they didn't. This they actively pursued this attack, right? But socially engineering owning that node validator. This wasn't like, oh, we found a back door. Oops. Like we were just poking around. They could have notified Sky Mavis. So, so, so on that note on like the, the hack and as somebody who admires hacks, like how, how elegant is this hack? Is this a pretty good one? Is this like one of the, the more intense ones you've ever seen? Or is this just brute force and somebody got lucky? Mm, we don't know how that, uh, how the fifth node is compromised. Um, could be some really clever, Web two exploitation used there, uh, we we just don't know. Time, time will tell. I think there's definitely gonna have to yeah, be a follow but, up on this. But one. I mean, like, look, like, I five Sky Mavis validator nodes compromised. Um, they claim social engineering, and I have seen some of the most intelligent security people that I know, you know, fall victim to uh, phishing. You know, everybody thinks they're familiar with it now, but a really clever targeted phishing attempt is really, really, really hard to avoid. So um, difficulty wise, not hard, but getting, okay, successfully phishing someone at Sky Mavis and as step one, but then, you know, taking that as far as like getting credentials and figuring out where the private keys live. There's probably a lot of work, and this was probably not a mid-level hacker. Uh, This is probably a team or someone that I think, you know, really knew their stuff. I mean, I just... Yeah, this is the info I wanted from you. This is the the kind of back stuff. I'm just trying to imagine, you know, what this hacker looks like. Is this some 16-year-old in his parents' basement? Is this a, a team, you know, of, of like that reminds me of some movie of them getting together to break into a bank, but they're really trying to hack things? So this is this has been really wild, and I really appreciate your uh, your inf- input on this because I've been excited to have this, this conversation with you all week, and now I kind of feel like I really understand uh, – what what went on with the hack or at least what what we know up to this point so yeah this has been great yeah well hopefully you know it's it's hard to like um to do all the research and really figure out what is going on in these cases but if anything that we're saying you know if i didn't if i misrepresented anything we'll update show notes we'll, we'll try and correct it 
And you know, hopefully you enjoyed this this first episode of ID Gen. We're gonna there'll probably be a lot of like security related stuff we dig into, but we're also looking for wild stories. So if you have a wild crypto story that you want to tell or you want to tell us about and, and we can tell, definitely reach out. Yeah, let's do it. We'll uh, we'll put uh, some contact info in the show notes. And uh, this has been fun. Thanks for everything, Zach.